0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, if you would, please turn it to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you do not have a Bible this morning, that is not a problem. I'm going to be reading a few verses of Scripture that we are going to hear Pastor Pete preach from in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be reading verses 27 all the way through 31. Isaiah 40, 27-31. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's begin with
1: prayer. God, we are thankful that we can look in this passage today, and Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand how we can turn to you and trust in you for everything. Lord, I pray that you'll work in hearts and lives today. I pray that you'll use me as your vessel today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, let me ask, start by asking a question. How many of you, um, on a somewhat regular basis, experience stress? Any people here get stressed out? Any of you stressed right now? Okay, there's a few of you. How do we respond with distress? What do we do to confront stress that is in our lives? These are questions that I believe that every person on this planet deals with. I read somewhere just uh, this week that that Americans consume fifteen billion aspirin tablets a year. Fifteen billion. And it is said that that many of them, over fifty percent of the tablets aspirin tablets that Americans take are to deal with stress related symptoms. Now, I have no idea how many other drugs we, we take, but we can we understand that there are there are meds in our in our world to calm us down. There are meds to help us get to sleep. Then there are medicines to help people wake up. And then throughout the day we use powerful caffeine and other drinks to keep us going. And then we take medicine again to get us to sleep at night. It's all to avoid stress. One out of every 25 people in America use sleeping pills. Because they can't get to sleep otherwise. This, this stat actually uh, was more than I thought. One out of every five American uses some sort of anxiety pill. One out of every five. We are truly a stressed out nation. Every day we're bombarded with harmful negative stimuli. Harmful negative things. Uh, uh, Dr. Mitchell Spellberg, who is a... Uh, uh, a psychiatrist at uh, Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago. He says this. He says, The explosion of instantaneous communication in our world is imposing a terrible strain on us. We are exposed to too many horror f- horror stories. The news is full of information about fires, airplane crashes, murders, rapes, and other stresses. These stresses brought bring about to people many horrible things such as ulcers, headaches, vomiting, fast pulse rates, and high blood pressure. We need to understand that that we are inundated constantly on a daily basis with stress. And so this morning what I want to look at is I want to look at some principles related to stress, and specifically I want to look at some misunderstandings about stress and about what the Bible has to say about it. Stress actually, and we're going to talk about this, stress can be a friend or a foe. It can be something that is used for our good, but it can also be something that is used for our bad. God wants to use stress with His children to strengthen you, not to cause you to shrink. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this topic of stress. You're actually going to get uh, an unusual experience in that I am doing the opening message on this topic of stress. Next week, I will be gone, so Pastor Nate will will be doing the next one on the topic of stress, and then the week after, Pastor Will will be teaching on the topic of stress. You're going to hear it from three of us. That may be stressful. I hope not. We're going to talk about how do we deal with stress. So this morning, we're going to look at the passage. If you haven't turned there, turn to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, it's one that, uh, uh, especially Isaiah 40:31, I have claimed as one of my life verses, as a verse that I, that I love dearly. And, and we look at this passage and we don't see the word stress, and I want you to understand that. Uh, you don't see the word stress in the Bible, but the idea of stress is seen in multiple places throughout Scripture, and here we see it as well. And so we want to talk about, first of all, the misunderstanding of the stress problem. We deal with stress. Every single day. Notice what it says in Isaiah 40 and verse 30, a passage that Pastor Will read. It said, Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. Even even those that are the strongest in this room are going to have days of stress-filled exhaustion. So how do we deal with it? What does that mean? First of all, we need to understand the load of stress. Stress is um, itself is defined as weight placed upon a person or an object. Let me give you an example that I think we can actually understand as we sit in this room. This building that we are in is under stress, constant stress, incredible stress right now. You see these walls over here? They've been standing here for about 100 years. And they have a ton of stress on them because the ceiling is pushing down on them. The roof above that is pushing down on it. In the winter, we get snow piled up that pushes down on it. Yet, thankfully, it's never collapsed. The, the great thing is this structure was designed to absorb stress so that the roof and the walls will not collapse. If a building is designed properly... Uh, It'll do that. If a building is designed improperly or it's not kept up to what it should be, the structure cannot withhold the load and it cannot stand the stress, and it buckles and falls apart. remember a number of years ago, um, uh, Pastor Nate and Pastor Will might might remember this because it happened in Minnesota. Some of you may remember there was a bridge in Minneapolis that collapsed. I had traveled that bridge when I lived in Minnesota numerous times, and so I knew what bridge it was, but uh, basically it it had deteriorated over time. They didn't uh, deal with it properly, and one day during rush hour traffic, as there was many people going across this bridge because it was a major highway, the the bridge just collapsed, and all these vehicles went into the river. Couldn't handle the stress. The architects and engineers carefully study the the, the buildings, and as they, and they decide if this building, if the structure of this building, if the if the design of this building is such that it's going to endure the stress that is around us. In life, we must also with withhold and withstand stress. You can't avoid it. That's what it says in verse thirty. That uh, in that passage, even young people are going to feel that 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 burden. The strain and the tension uh, of living uh, uh, produces uh, difficulties and produce stress every single day. But what produces stress in us? And we know in the building here, it's the, the, the ceiling and all that's above us, and, and it's pushing down and it's causing stress. But what about us? Well, there are different types of stress there uh, that we must accept in life. There is the unnecessary self-induced stress. What do I mean by that? Let's say that you are a, a fan of a particular football team. Um, I will uh, not pick on any of you just in case I upset you. But let's say you're a fan of a particular football team, and that football team does very well this year. And they get all the way through the playoffs, and it comes to the day of the Super Bowl. And you're excited because your team that you cheer for is going to be in the Super Bowl. And so you plan, oh man, this is going to be fun. We're going to watch the Super Bowl. And you sit down, and you begin to watch it, and the game goes on. And as the game goes on, it gets tighter and tighter and closer and closer. And as that happening, you become tenser and tenser. Your heart rate starts going faster and your, your eyes dilate and your muscles tighten up and you feel back pain and you're watching a game. That's self-induced, unnecessary stress. You're not in the game. I mean, those football players, of course their body hurts. But yours hurts by watching it. You're not responsible for the outcome. If they win or lose, no one's going to come and say it was your fault. But yet you feel the stress of the game. You're not going to benefit from it unless you know you bet on the game, which I'm not suggesting. You have worked yourself up into a frenzy of self-induced stress. That's not the stress we're going to talk about today. Okay, What we're going to talk about is the stress that comes as the result of responsibilities of life. And there are numerous ways in which we become stressed. First of all, The first one is we are often stressed by time. This is one of the greatest contributors to stress. I know all about this. I understand this in my life. You see, what you may not realize is Sunday comes every seven days. And every seven days, I know that unless I'm out of town, uh, uh, every seven days I am going to have to stand here and and I have to have sufficient time to preach, uh, to prepare to preach. And you know what? Oftentimes there isn't. And through the week, as I'm preparing to come and stand here on Sunday, and I said this a few weeks ago, and I don't say this to boast or brag or anything, I say this as a reality, so you understand, is, is most weeks I spend a good 20 to 30 hours preparing for what I'm going to say here in the next 20 to 30 minutes, or 40 if I go long. And, and so throughout that week, I'm trying to find that certain time, but yet, you know what happens to me? I have to have a meeting. Not that it's bad, I want to clarify that for those that I meet with, I'm not saying that's a problem. Or, or I do a hospital visit or or I have a counseling session or I have a report that's due or or I have another lesson for Sunday school or tonight or or and all through that also you know what I have family things that I'm dealing with and I have other schedules and I have appointments and I have this and you know stress can just push us and time can push us but you all understand this you got to get your kids ready for school on time don't you and that involves getting them clothed, getting them cleaned up, getting breakfast, getting all their stuff together. And, and sometimes uh, it's even difficult just to get them out of bed. I know, I have one of those. Those of you that don't have kids, you got to be on time to work. And, and that, that involves making sure you have gas in your car, because that would be really bad if you got in the car and you had no gas and you couldn't get to work. And it involves eating sometimes, maybe even while you're driving. It involves and negotiating traffic, and involves arriving in the best way possible. You have to pay your bills on time. Your meals have to be on time. Almost everything we do involves the stress of time. Even many of you came to church this morning and you're running late. You were rushing around wildly trying to get ready so you could come here on church and you come running into this building and your heart is racing and your nerves are frayed because you were stressed by time. We're stressed by time, but we're also stressed by tasks. We have responsibility. Maybe it's something at work, a project that you have to get done, and your boss's mandate are on you. Maybe it's that you have yard work to do. You have grass that needs to be cut. Maybe it's a house project that you're working on, and those... Those tasks are just weighing on you. And although you're doing other things, you're thinking, i got to get this done, i got to get that done. And you're constantly working on those things. And, and it involves the stress of tasks. But thirdly, we're stressed by temptation. Say, so what do you mean by that? Let me explain. Temptation adds enormous stress. And what it is, is there's a sin that's or sins that are being dangling out in front of you that are, are trying to convince you that if you will do this that is offered, it will provide you some relief from the other pressures of life. And it doesn't work. You're, t- you're tempted to take shortcuts. You're tempted to, to sometimes even escape stress by going into sins that you shouldn't do. You're tempted to do these things and it's, it's like a carrot dangled out in front of you that's constantly there and it's pressure on you. You're pressured, we are stressed by turmoil. Arguments, disagreements, conflict with other people create stress in our life. I know it seems strange, but stress can cause turmoil, and then turmoil adds more stress. Maybe it's turmoil between you and your spouse, maybe it's turmoil between you and your child, between you and your employer or employee, even sometimes friends even sometimes between people we don't even know, it creates stress in our lives. I was telling my wife this the other day. I, I pulled out of the church parking lot one day and I turned to go south on, on uh, Main Street and then I was going to turn at the Seven Eleven to go down Mishawaka towards my house. And, and I got to that light and it was red and so I stopped, as you were supposed to, but I, I put my signal on because I was going to turn and I looked and, and I saw two, one vehicle just about to go through the light, and then I saw another one out in the distance. And I thought I got plenty of time to get through this light. And so the one vehicle turned or went, and I followed. And as soon as I turned, I realized that he was turning into Seven Eleven. So he put on his brakes, and so I put on my brakes. And this woman who was coming behind me put on her brakes, and then uh, and then she beeped her horn. She screamed at me. She gave me a little wave that is not a nice wave. And she was, and, I, and suddenly I found myself stressed over something I didn't do. I, I, I didn't cause a problem. I felt like she would have had to do the same thing even if I wasn't there. And I felt stressed. There's turmoil. We often feel stressed also, finally, by our temperament. Some people seem to become stressed quicker than others. Some of you get stressed just because it's your personality. And I understand that. Let me ask you a question. You look at these five things. Do you see any of these to describe you? I would guess every one of you would say yes. The load of stress is great, but the second thing I want you to notice is the loneliness of stress. Look, if you will, in in the passage again. Look at verse 27. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Here is a conversation that's being happened and, and they're saying to and God is saying, Why is it that you're saying this to me? Why is it you're coming to me with this grievance? And and what was the grievance that the people had? What was what was their major problem or what was the the, the, the concern they had? And they said this, look what it says there. My way is hidden from the Lord And my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, what they are saying is this. They're saying, here I am, I'm weary, I'm worn out, I'm stressed out, I am bothered. And they're looking at God and they're saying, God, why do you not even see me? Because one of the greatest uh, understandings is is that when we are in stress, oftentimes stress produces a feeling of loneliness. A person under, under extreme stress feels that no one else is there. They feel God doesn't care. God doesn't even understand. me. God doesn't know what I'm going through. God can't see my problem from my perspective. And even if He could, all He's doing is hiding Himself from me. And that's what they're saying. God, why are you hiding from me? I know all of you have experienced this, but stress often creates the feeling of being alone with your problem. You know, we have a problem and we think, I'm the only one that's ever dealt with this. Now we know that's not true, but that's the way we feel in that moment. You feel overwhelmed and you feel under love. And that, that was the problem in the Bible. You Remember, remember the story of, of Mary and Martha? Remember Mary and Martha? They were they were people, uh, two women who, who loved and followed Jesus, and, and, and Jesus was close to them. And one day Jesus came into town, and, and he was he was preaching and he was teaching, and, 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 and there was the two were responding differently. And Mary starts, uh, uh, Mary, Mary is is listening uh, to Jesus, but Martha, oh Martha, Martha's Martha's busy. I mean, Martha, she is Miss Hostess, and she's got dinners to make, she's got clothes to clean, she's got laundry to do, she's got, I mean, she's got to dust, she's got to vacuum, she's got to make the beds for the guests, she's got to put, you know, the mint on their pillow. She's got all of this to do, and she's all alone. Remember the story? She comes to Jesus and says, says, Jesus, I'm making all this food, I'm doing all this stuff, and my sister just sits there and does nothing. Why? Because here she was, and she was allowing the stress of everything around her to cause her to feel like no one cared. She was bearing under the weight of her self-imposed stress. And really the labor she was doing wasn't nearly as heavy as the feeling of stress that she was putting on herself. But when we are in the midst of those difficult times, we often feel that loneliness. But thirdly, I want you to notice the results of stress. All stress is not harmful. It can be helpful. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. Proper stress is a blessing. Let's go back to the illustration I used earlier. I said this building, these walls are under tremendous stress to hold up the, the, the roof. And you know what? That's a blessing to us. If it was, if it was, you know, uh, raining really hard right now, and these and this walls weren't doing their job, and, and the rain was coming in, we would be a little frustrated. But proper stress can be a blessing. But, if not handled properly, then stress can cause many problems. The Bible talks about these, and we're not going to take the time to look at all, these, all the verses about it, but let me give you a few ways that uh, stress not handled properly can cause problems. First of all, it can make us sick. David talked about that. David said, my bones wax old. What he was saying was the, the pressure of stuff in his life, the, the stress in his life was actually causing his body to hurt. Not only does it produce physical problems, but it produces emotional weakness. And when we are stressed, guess what happens? It impacts uh, other areas and it leads to other things. Your, your stress leads to worry and leads to anger and leads to bitterness. Let me give you an example. You're at work and you're, we talked about this earlier. Your boss gives you a job and here's this task you have to do. And man, you are working hard. You're doing everything you can and you're trying to get it done. And you look over there and you see a coworker who's just kind of just doing nothing. And you're sitting there thinking, I got this stress. They got nothing. And before you know it, you're, you're like steaming and your uh, co-worker comes walking by and says, Hey Joe, how's it going? And you're mad at Joe and he did nothing wrong. But it created bitterness in your life. And it causes you to lose your joy. all because you didn't respond to stress properly. It can also make us extremely negative. It causes us to doubt our faith. It causes us to break down relationships and ultimately our effectiveness for God. The stress problem is real. I understand that. But secondly, I want to look at, we start getting into the positive though. Because I think we have a misunderstanding of the power for stress. How do we deal with stress? Look what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. The strength we need to deal with stress is available for us. Notice what it says in that passage uh, there. He gives this he is god we're going to talk more about him in a little bit and who he is and how he has the ability to give us power but it says he gives that is the idea of a free gift that you are given it's it's something you like you get on your birthday and here it says in this passage he gives it's something that he hands to you he gives us what we need to deal with stress now in this passage specifically it says he gives power to the faint I think we understand that idea. This is not literally fainting. It's the the sense of, man, I just feel the pressure, the weight. I feel like I can't continue. I feel like I can't go on. And he says, here, I give you strength. I give you power. God gives to us, and he wants us to have it. It's a God-given gift we need, and it's on a regular basis. It's not a one-time event. He gives it to us over and over and over again. But what does he give us? Notice what it says. He gives... Power. That word power means to be firm in our standing. It's the idea that He gives us the ability not to give up when we're under pressure, but to stand there just like this wall stands there under the pressure of the roof. It gives us the ability under the pressure of life, under the pressure of circumstances, under the pressure of time, to stand there firm and not give up. Every day this building faces the weight The winds, the rain, the storms, the snow, and yet it stands there. God says, I give you that type of strength. So you can endure whatever comes. What does He give us? First of all, He gives us strength for the weary. Strength for the weary. Look again in that verse, in verse 29. He says He gives power to the faint, to those who are weary. Verse 30 talks about that. Even young men shall faint and be weary. Sometimes our stress is the result of being called on a task which wearies us, tires us. Maybe for you it's your job. Maybe for some of you it's parenting. Maybe for some of you it's you're taking care of a uh, elderly mom or dad and it's wearing you down physically. And that's the idea what he's talking about, that faint there. He gives you strength we need to know that God has the strength to give to us. How many of you have uh, seen maybe out and about, maybe in a highway or a bridge, or most likely in an elevator, a load limit sign? You probably have all seen those, right? Uh, a few months ago, our, our our young people, we go they go to uh, Primrose Retirement Community and do a service once a month. And a few months ago, we were there and there was a number of teens and I was and I was with them and we go up to the second floor to their chapel and so we all hopped into the, the elevator and I remember we were all joking around, Jonathan I think you were there that day, we were all joking about it we look up and it says, you know, load limit, whatever it is and we kind of joked around and said, hey, you know, are we going to make this elevator drop to the ground the reality is, is we had like seven or eight like tiny skinny little teen girls, so it wasn't going anywhere, but uh but we weren't even close to it. But a load limit is, is because too much strain uh, on, on those type of things can cause severe damage and complete collapse. And so engineers determine the exact amount of stress various materials and manufactured items can safely handle. And the public is given this information in a posted uh, sign or warning telling them not to exceed that exceeded limit. To disregard those signs would be inviting danger or great distress. I believe God not does not want to expose us to stresses that are above what we are able to handle, but I do believe that when God gives us a task to do, He enables us to do it. We can do those things. If we move outside of His will and take on things that He has not guided us to do, then, then we're not promised that strength. Trusting Him for strength means abiding in His will. The load limit is created to help us uh, stay on the right path in our lives. So God gives strength to the weary. But the second one is interesting here. This is strength for the weak. Notice again, if you will, back in uh, verse 29, it says, He gives power to the faint. Those are that are weary, are worn out, are physically drained. And then He says this, And to him who has no might he increases strength. That's that's a different type of thing here. He's not talking about necessarily physical might, although that could be it. What he's talking about there is ability. Because there's another problem we have, and it's it's not just that I feel worn out. There's times when uh, there's a task to do which I feel I lack the skills to do it. I'm sure many of you have felt the same way there was many people in Scripture that felt the same way. Remember Moses? Moses was called by God to lead the people of Israel. And Moses said to God, I can't do it. I don't have the abilities. I'm not a speaker. I'm not one that can lead. God said, I'll give you the strength. Remember Gideon? God came to Gideon. Gideon was hiding out. He was terrified the enemy was going to come. And he was hiding and God came and said, Gideon, I want you to go. And Gideon goes, I am the least the last possible person you should ask. God said, no, you're the one I ask." I think many of us can fall into that same uh, syndrome of, of I, I can't do it. And yet God says he has the gift of strength that overcomes even our greatest weakness. You may not think that you have the ability to do a certain task, but we, uh, but God can lead you to do it. And God can help you through it. If God is calling you to do something, He will give you the ability to carry it out. The limit of our ability is the beginning of God's gift of strength to us. You say, I, "I can't, I can't do this." Okay, as soon as you step outside your ability, God will give you more strength if He asks you to do it. And that's what He's saying in this passage. He said He gives power to those that are weird, but He also increases strength. He builds the strength as you head outside of the territory of your might and your abilities. Often the trouble from stress is because we feel that we're not able to do what is required. I'm sure many of you feel that way. You look at your week and you go, I can't do this. And God says, I give strength. The final thing we want to look at is misunderstanding the purpose of stress. And honestly, now we come to the most important point of our text today, and I want you to listen closely. Most of us do not understand that stress is not meant to harm us, but to help us. feeling of weakness is not meant to harm us, it's meant to help us. But a proper response to, to stress can and will lead to a better life and a better person. How does it happen that way? Let's look, first of all, at Isaiah 40 and verse 31. I said earlier, one of my favorite verses, it says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A couple things I want you to notice from this passage. First of all, stress enables us to be empowered by the Lord. There's some incredible word pictures here that I want you to notice. And and in these word pictures, I think we see actually three different types or three different ways in which God strengthens us. The first one is this, uh, the the supernatural strength to fly. Notice what he says again. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Let me ask you this question, and if someone answers this, um, we'll be concerned. How many of you can actually physically fly? No. I'm going on a trip tomorrow. I'll be hopping on a plane tomorrow at 8 o'clock at night, flying for 14 hours to go across the world. Okay, I'm not physically flying myself there. I'm not flapping my arms and getting up in the air and soaring like Superman. Okay. So what does he mean here? This is what, what, what is being described here as a, a soaring strength. It is the strength to do things that are totally impossible. He is not giving us, by the way, I just want to face <laughs> your concern here. He is not giving us actually a promise that he can make you fly. He's giving us a promise here that He can give you strength to do what is impossible. There is something that God supplies to those who are facing what appears to be impossible. Right now in your life, you may be having something right in front of you that you go, this is impossible, I cannot do this. And what God is saying is, is if you will wait on me, we'll get to that in a minute, then, then you will be able to mount up with wings like eagle. No, I will never be able to fly. But I will be able to have strength to do that which is impossible. Because God is a God of uh, the impossible. How do we know that to be true? I want to look back in this passage just for a few moments. Look at verse twenty-eight uh, of Isaiah four. I don't have these on the screen, but I'll read them for you. Uh, Isaiah forty. Look at verse twenty-eight. Have you not known? Have you not heard? the The Lord is the everlasting God. He begins to describe Himself and He says this, I am an everlasting God. What does that mean? That means God has always been and God always will always be. God has been here through everything that has happened in this world. God was here on this world when the flood took place and destroyed everything. God was here on this world when, when uh, evil men like Hitler came in and, and began to do horrible, wicked things. God was here. God will always be here it's not that He cannot and will not do anything. He has the power to do what He wants. Then it goes on, He says, He's the creator of the ends of the earth. God made everything. God made the, 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 the ground that we walk on. God made the stars in the heaven. God made you. God made me. God made uh, animals. God made your dog. God, I mean, We could go on and on. God made it all. So when he says to you, he gives power to the faint. You think he has that power to give? Yes. I want to look back at some more verses. Take your Bible and look at Isaiah 40. Go back to verse 12. I I, I I believe about six years ago I preached on this passage, and so I'm not going to dive deep into it. Not that. You all remember that, but uh, I just want to go quickly through this, starting in verse 12. In verse 12 is this section where it begins to talk about the greatness of who God is. It begins to uh, really uh, uh, expound on on God's power. Notice what it says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? This is one of those questions where we know the answer. It's referring to God. The answer is not given. It's an understood question and he says who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand i want to clarify for a moment he's not talking about the physical hand of god he's talking about the immense power of god and he's describing god this way and he says who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand you ever you ever been to the ocean you ever looked out and you saw the unending amount of water god is so big that to him it's just like scooping it up in his hand he goes on. He says, "Who's heaven with a span? Who has who who has the ability to look up? And you look up in the sky at nights. And you know, I live here in Mishawaka, and so I look up at the sky at night. I maybe can pick out two or three stars. But if you live in the country and you look up and you see endless stars, and God just looks up and he just has the ability to not only uh, see them all but name them all. And it's it's a small thing to him." Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? In other words, He's taken all the dust of the earth in a pinch. Who has weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance? Verse 13, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? In other words, who has the ability to counsel God? Verse 14, Whom did He consult? And who made Him understand? You ever felt like you didn't understand the topic? You had to search it. I mean, we live in an age where you can, you know, Google it and find out the answer and hopefully trust what it says. But God doesn't have to Google anything. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. And that's what this passage is saying is who who gave God understanding? Who had to teach God? No one. Who taught Him the path of justice? Who taught Him knowledge? Who showed Him the way of understanding? No one. Verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop you know, from a bucket. And they're counted as dust and scales. Behold, He takes up the coastline like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. It's referring to the, the, the forest of Lebanon north. Are It's beast enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. We live in America. We probably still is the greatest nation in in the world. God looks down and He says, compared to me, it's nothing. The power of the United States is nothing compared to God. And look what He says in verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? For what likeness compare with Him? But man has tried, haven't they? Man has tried to make some replica of who God is or to make some, in their mind some way to, to compare God to something else. And he talks about that here. He says in verse 19, an idol? Is that going to compare to God? What's an idol? It's a craftsman cast it. And a gold, goldsmith overlays it with gold and he casts it for a, for silver chains. And he who is too impoverished for offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman. He sets up an idol that will not move. What's that to God? Nothing. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, talking about God, it is he who sits on the circle of heaven. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out heaven like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of earth as emptiness. You know, we oftentimes think we're big stuff, don't we? You know, if if we as regular, everyday people were to run into a celebrity, we sometimes act awestruck. It's amazing is that celebrity runs into another celebrity. And he feels the same way. But if any of them run into the, the president, they would also feel the same way. But yet the Bible tells us here in this passage that in comparison to God, all the rulers of the earth are as nothing. We go back to our passage in, uh, in Isaiah 40 and verse 31, and, and it says there that they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And we say, how, how could that possibly be true? I think we look at this passage and we see with God anything is possible. Maybe there's someone here today and you are in need of supernatural wing strength. The task in, in front of you, you are facing a stress that is obviously beyond you. You are looking into the eyes of something that is physically, emotionally, and humanly impossible. But so never fear, God is with you. Lean on God. We'll talk more about this in a minute. And He will allow you to mount up like swiftly. Then there's a second word picture, and I promise these two won't take as long. The second one is if you look in verse 31, He says, and they will run and not be weary. Now, in our culture today, running, if I mentioned, hey, I'm going to go for a run, um, (laughs) people would fall over faints because I don't normally do that. But uh, if if someone else was to say they were going to go for a run, you would not be shocked by that because today that is a norm. I I, I saw a stat that said that uh, 55 million Americans run on a semi-consistent basis um, for exercise. Now, that's not always been the case. In in the days of Isaiah, running was not something that you did just for exercise or for fun. Running was usually associated with some difficult, extreme uh, circumstance. In fact, running was often associated with war and battle. So when he says in this passage, run and not be weary, this is not the sense of, hey, I'm going to run a marathon and I'm not going to be tired. This is the sense of when you're running in battle, when you're running in war, when you're trying to overcome something that is big in front of you, God gives you the strength to do that. And he's not referring to a physical battle. That's not the idea. It's a a spiritual one or an emotional one. With God's help, you can do it. Proverbs 18.29 says this, listen, he says, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. The psalmist is saying here that God's strength uh, was enough that he could face an entire troop of an army, and he can leap over a wall. Let me ask you, what battles are you facing today? What enemies is coming against you? And you're saying, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can get through this. But God says that you can. What you need to do is you need to put yourself in a position where the enemy has to deal with God first. You can have strength in the battle. Look at the third word picture there. The overcoming strength to run. Look at the end of the verse 31. He says, you shall walk and not think. This is not a a surge of running to get somewhere. This is not a soaring like an eagle. This is just the ability to to mark through life, through the the day-to-day situations you face. Just managing life is enough to cause us to faint, unless we know where to find our strength. Some of you are not facing the impossible you just in life normal life some of you are not facing an enemy but every single person in this room is, is trying to cope with life and that's what this is talking about you can walk and not faint finally um, sorry, I didn't get those finally is stress forces us to wait on the Lord notice at the beginning of the verse it says but they how, how do you get this strength? How do you receive these this strength that God is talking about? How do you do it? Look what it says there. But they that wait on the Lord. What does that mean to wait on the Lord? What is that idea of waiting on the Lord? The word wait is, uh, is uh, another word that we might be familiar with. Is the word hope. Hope on the Lord. Hope for the Lord. But the word hope there is not the sense of a, a chance or a luck thing. It's, it's the biblical idea of a, a, a confident assurance that this is going to come. It's a, it's a guarantee spiritual hoping to hope in the lord means i do not hope in my job i hope in the one who supplies all my needs to hope in the lord does not mean that i hope in my money but i hope in the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and pours upon us every good and perfect gift my hope is not in my intellectual abilities my hope is not in my physical strengths my hope is not in my relationship with people as much as I treasure the precious people God has given me. My hope is in God, but specifically my hope is in my relationship with God. I'm going to look at one verse here, and I have it on the screen, so you need to turn there. But look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says there, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Let me ask in just the next few moments here that you'll let me share, how, how can you get this hope? Maybe you're here today, and man, you are beaten up by life. And you don't see hope. You don't see a way to overcome this stress. You don't see, I mean, you, you, you want to, you just don't see it. See, because this idea here of waiting for the Lord, this hoping in the Lord, is just not something that's handed out freely to everyone. Because in this passage, it's talking about this living hope and how we get this living hope. It says, it's living hope comes when we are born again. Well, what does that mean? The Bible talks about the being born again when Jesus spoke to a man uh, uh, by the name of Nicodemus and He told him that you must be born again. And the idea of being born again is not something where I have to, as Jesus said to him, it's not something where you go back into your mother's womb. No, it's, it's something where you are reborn. What, what does that mean? The Bible tells us this, that we're dead in our sins. Every single person who has ever lived except for Jesus Christ commits sin. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a gossip. You hate people. All of those are sins and you've committed sin. And so therefore, because of that, the Bible says you're dead. Not physically, spiritually. We're spiritually dead. Dead people can't do anything for themselves, can they? You know, so many times we think that I've got I've to work my way to please God. I've got to do this to please God. I've got to go to church and be religious. And I've got to do this. No. If you are in sin, you are dead. Dead people can't work their way out. Notice what it says there. You can be born again. Well, how does that happen? God knew that there was no way that you could physically do it on your own. And so one day he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who had never committed a sin, never done wrong, never violated a single command of God. And he sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to earth and he died. His death was not just a a physical pain, and suffering. It wasn't just about that. In fact, the greatest, probably the greatest suffering that Jesus uh, felt on that day was not the physical pain, although it was it was intense. It was the fact that when Jesus died, the Bible tells us that every sin that was ever committed by anyone in this world, the punishment for that sin was placed on Jesus Christ. And so, because of that, God turned his back. Why would he do that? He did that because he knew that was the, the only hope that we have for life with him. If you're here today and you want this strength to rise up like, like eagles, you want this ability to run and not to be weary, you want the ability to walk and not faint, it does not come just by anything you do on your power. It comes by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way that is possible is if you come to a place where you realize that your only hope is Jesus Christ. And you trust in Him. You turn to Him. You turn from your sin, that stuff that's what caused all this problem, and you turn to Jesus Christ and you trust in Him. And all of this strength that is talked about here rests on the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. It says in that verse, that living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know God? I don't mean, do you know about God? I mean, do you know God? Have you met Him? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? If you have not, and I say this lovingly as I possibly can, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if He is not your only hope for for life, then stress will always hound you. We talked about this in our senior class this morning. and the, the, the worst part about it is any stress we feel in life is nothing compared to the judgment that those who have not come to Christ will face in time. If you have turned to Christ, then I want to encourage you with this passage again because God will help you, will empower you to overcome stress that you're facing. I haven't figured it out all I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, just this week, I faced a lot of stress. God is slowly trying to mold me, to teach me, and show me. The only way I can face these things is through His strength. God, I thank you for your word. thank you for this text. Lord, you know this has been a passage that I've held to for many, many years of my life. Lord, it's one that anyone in this room can cling to, but Lord, it's verses for those who have called upon you. Those who have acknowledged their sin and have turned to their Savior. Lord, I pray, first of all, Lord, if there's any in here that have not Trusted in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, that you will point that out to them. You will convict them of that through your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you will work in that platform. Lord, for the believer, for the Christian, I pray that you help them to understand that their source of power rests only in you. Lord, I pray that you help us to be people who overcome stress, not through some magic thing that we do or some... The book we read, but through Jesus Christ. And as we do. Christ.